Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Hey there, everybody. It's that time again from KQED Public Radio. This is Political Breakdown. I'm Scott Schaefer. And I'm Marisa Lagos. And today on The Breakdown, he is the son of immigrants, now a prolific legislator. San Francisco Assemblyman David Chu is going to join us right here in Sacramento. He will indeed. And he's right in the middle of Sacramento's battles over housing, rent control, and renters' rights. We're going to talk with Assemblyman Chu about all that and much more. But first... We have a special guest of our own, Guy Marzarati, who's usually on the other side of the glass. Great to uh, be here. Is here. My favorite podcast. That's right. <laughs> very good. Uh, because you've been covering some of these housing bills, and we're going to get to that in just a moment. Uh, but first, uh, presidential politics. Yeah, it's I don't all know coming to Cali. I don't know who's paying attention as closely as we are. I don't think most folks really do. But nonetheless, they are coming here. Beto O'Rourke is going to make his first California swing through the Joe Golden Biden State. Driving. In. Yeah, Joe Biden's in. Is he going to drive himself? Because at a certain point, he's going to get like a text, like a texting ticket or something. Exactly, and I'm thinking too when he pulls in to fill up that tank of gas and sees the price <laughs> is like four fifty. I don't know what they pay in Texas, but I'm sure it's about half. Well, or just trying to drive in San Francisco, like have fun yeah. with that. I mean, buddy. we just spent a week in LA. We can assure him. Not a good idea. Yeah, Not right. a good idea. Yeah, hopefully he'll, because he's starting in L.A., right? So I'm sure he'll get out of there. But uh, he's going to be, interestingly, in San Francisco, he's going to be at the Irish Cultural Center on Sunday. Not the place uh, presidential candidates typically go, but a little nod to his Irish roots. And he's not. I think he's specifically choosing to not campaign traditionally, right? I mean, this was sort of the way his campaign phrased the Central Valley swing, which they're still, I think, fleshing out Working details on. Out, yeah. But like, he's going to go to the places that other candidates don't go, um, yeah. which is not a, a not so subtle dig at everyone who comes to Hollywood and Silicon Valley and, raises and collects lots of the money. checks. Yeah, and, and like, he's he's quite not doing quite deliberately, I'm sure, not doing any fundraisers while he's in California. He probably doesn't really need to, uh, at least not at this point. Donors. And so Biden's in, uh, and you know, he's been a of course, leading all the polls. Uh, a lot of people wonder if that's not just like people kind of a resting place for voters while they check out all the other candidates. Uh, and, uh, you know, that it's really just name ID. I mean, wh- you know, what do you guys think? Is he is he got legs? Well, I think in California, it's interesting. I was looking into some of the fundraising that candidates have done so far uh, in California. I think that's where Biden kind of has a really room to catch up in this race. He's the 20th candidate Ooh, to get zero. in. Um, and, you know, the fundraising game has really changed in presidential politics. You're seeing, we saw Cal- uh, California Senator Kamala Harris take a big lead in overall fundraising in California, but really trail Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders in small donors. And that's become the real currency of presidential campaigns. That's a focus that Sanders has, that Harris has to some extent, Elizabeth Warren. I mean, Biden comes from the era of 
gather Big all your checks. friends in the hills and let's right. cut some checks. And I think adapting to that uh, will be interesting to see. Well, and of right. course, we're going to, the, the 24 hour, first 24 hours, they're going to look at how much he raised. I think it was in it Bernie uh, or who, who, somebody raised 6.1. I think it was Beto who raised 6.1. But, you know, in the end, I don't know if that really matters. That's kind of an inside thing. Yeah, I mean, it's so early. We know this. We've been talking about this. The polls mean very little. I, I think that, you know, I think the next month or so will be interesting to watch Biden, both on the fundraising and the traction. Like, if his numbers do inch up, I don't think that's, like, a sign that he's definitely going to win the nomination. But I also think that if they start going down, I mean, you talked to a consultant who talked about that. Like, if if these numbers are not, you know, don't move that much, that's probably good news for him. But if he's, like, losing numbers in the poll as people get to know other candidates, that's probably not a great sign. Yeah, and he's not been a great candidate in the past. This is the third time he's run. His first two runs were sort of disastrous in a lot of ways. Uh, and so it's, you know, he's we'll see. I mean, he's a it's different... a different world. It's 11 years, you know, it's, well, it'll be 12 years since last time he was in a presidential primary. And, you know, the donors are not the only thing that's changed. The party's moved. Trump is a factor. I think what's going to be interesting to see if he tries to rise above the fray, so to speak, and focus on Trump as he did in his announcement video. Um, I think that there's sort of, you know, you could see that there's pluses and minuses to that. But, you know, these, like, Democrats need to litigate amongst themselves first before I would say they move on to Trump. Well, let's talk a little yeah. bit about housing, because we are with our guests. We're going to get into it a little more deeply. But, Guy, there was uh, there's some hearings this morning. You've been up here all day uh, tracking rent control and other issues uh, What's the, what's the battlefield look like? Right. So it's actually been a really big week for housing policy in general here uh, in Sacramento. We saw at the end of last week another effort to put rent control expansion on the ballot. This failed uh, really badly in November, yet the AIDS Healthcare Foundation is trying again um, with eyes on the 2020 ballot. Simultaneously, there's this effort to address rent in the state capitol. So earlier this morning, we found out that the bill to do that, to change rent control law, allow cities to expand rent control on their own, is being held in committee. So this is actually the second straight year that that idea Doesn't is not- get to the floor. Yeah, it does not get to the floor. Um, and simultaneously in the same hearing, as I'm sure you'll talk to with Assemblymember Chu, his bill to c- create a statewide rental cap uh, did advance, which was, you know, it, it won over some moderate members who I was really interested to see how they would line up on this bill because it's a it's billed as an anti-gouging measure to really prevent the most drastic increases in rent. But just the idea of having any kind of cap uh, on rents is not really gone anywhere in Sacramento. So it was definitely a movement in that direction. Well, and yesterday there was SB 50, uh, Scott Wiener's bill. That was up for another marathon here. Another marathon. And that one did advance, uh, but with some, you know, important modifications. Right. And and I think with housing... Let's just say what that is. Sure. So this is a bill to uh, increase housing uh, density, housing production in California, basically by trying to boost density around both transit sites and also job centers. And I think what you see with all these housing bills is it really comes down to oftentimes a regional politics more than uh, partisan politics. Mm -hmm. So in the case of SB 50, there was an agreement worked out. The bill is authored by Scott Wiener, senator from San Francisco. Uh, A deal worked out with Mike McGuire, who represents the North Bay and more suburban communities, basically to take kind of a two-track approach on increasing density. So there are rules in the bill that will apply for larger counties in the state, and then there are rules for smaller counties in the state. So I think, once again, you see it's not... This is not an issue that really falls along the right, lines. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Let me just quickly, and I think we we could have the assembly member weigh in on this. But how do you see the politics around this in terms of last year's failure, Prop Ten, and whether that has put pressure on lawmakers to either 
buck, you know, tenants' rights advocates and sort of say no voters weighed in? Um, or on the other hand, is there, you know, a desire among the apartment owners and, and developers who oppose that to say, let's play ball so we don't end up in another expensive fight at the ballot? Well, I don't see the latter happening. I actually don't see there's any really change in the message that you're hearing from the Apartment Association on rent control. Um, you know, there might be other changes that, that can be worked out. But I, I think certainly for the Apartment Association, for these landlords, they feel like Prop 10 was a vindication of their position, right. which, you know, you can argue there was it was it was a far from perfect campaign that was run. And there were very specific ways in which that measure was Probably written. Probably overreached in some ways. Yeah, and, yeah, but that's the message that, that the you know landlords have taken away from that was we're vindicated. All right. Well, we're going to take a short break. Uh, our guest is going to join us, Assemblyman David Chu. He's been standing here patiently listening to us pick over his legislation. We'll hear from him directly. Guy Marzarati, thanks for joining us. Thank you. You're listening to Political Breakdown from KQED Public Radio. I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. Well, welcome back to Political Breakdown. I'm Scott Schaefer here with Marisa Lagos. We're up in Sacramento today. The legislature, of course, is in the thick of it now as committees are hearing hundreds of bills, including several authored by our guest today, Democratic Assemblyman David Chu. Welcome to Political Breakdown. Thanks for having me on. Crazy day up here for yeah. you, huh? A little Just bit. Just another one. A little bit. We had hundreds of folks uh, in the building on a hearing that lasted for hours. Yeah. So tell us like, how you're feeling about your bill getting out of committee. I mean, Guy said he was surprised or, you know, didn't know how some of the more moderate Democrats would vote on it. This is obviously, you know, the idea is to say you can only increase rental um, rents by 5% a year. CPI plus 5%. CPI so plus 5%. That's pretty high, too. 75 yeah. to 8%. So, I mean, I guess to start, do you see this as a fairly sort of modest measure from your point of view as someone who did support, you know, broader rent control reform? I think of it as a significant measure in that it would provide protections to the 15 of the 17 million 
renters in the state of California that do not have rent control protection. So in a rent control city, it's not going to be meaningful. But in non-rent control jurisdictions, which is the vast majority right. of the state, uh, to have any sort of uh, cap on the ability of someone to be rent gouged is significant. Yeah. You know, the whole idea of rent control, of course, is very controversial, and whether it works or not. Uh, you know, what is your sense? I mean, you're from San Francisco. Mm-hmm. We see it has the you highest. You are a renter. Are, are you still a renter? Uh, I am not a renter. I was a renter for two decades yeah. until uh, almost three years ago yeah. when my wife and I had our son. Um, I mean, some people feel it just kind of perverts the market and, and sort of freezes people in place longer because they can't afford to move. And you know, what, what's your take, big picture? What, you know, what I what I typically say is uh, it's not the most perfect policy for reasons that you just suggested. But in a city like San Francisco, if we did not have rent control, the economic diversity of our city would just disappear. We would become a city of the very wealthy and maybe a handful of the very lucky uh, few who are lower income. But we would completely. Right utterly hollow out our middle class. And so there are plenty of things you can pick at rent control, but we desperately need it in cities like San Francisco. What, how do you see the politics here? I mean, as we've said, you know, the Apartment Association, others on that side of things fought very hard against Prop 10. They were successful. We have not seen since, what, the 90s when Costa Hawkins, which limited rent control across the state, passed really much appetite in the legislature, you know, I mean, among certain members, but to actually get this through. Do you think it's different? I do think it's different. You're right. It's been a couple of decades since anything significant has moved. And one thing I do want to mention is that my proposal is not rent control. Rent control essentially uh, freezes rents. It can adjust with CPI, but typically rents can only go up to be a fraction of CPI. Uh, My bill says that rents could go up by 7 to 8% a year on average or more or less, depending on what the consumer price index is. Um, But we all need to do something. We're in the worst housing crisis in our state's history. Uh, We have millions of tenants who are one rent increase away from being out on the streets. And uh, I think everyone understands that even the industry, and and while they are opposing my bill, um, there is a conversation that's happening. And my colleagues certainly really understand we've got to do something. So very grateful for a strong vote today. We want to get to some of your your personal background in just a second. But uh, you uh, were, of course, present a couple years ago when Governor Jerry Brown signed, I think, 15 different housing bills, some of which were yours. And he signed them, and I think he said, "Now, don't send me so many next year." Uh, <laughs> he did I, say that, <laughs> and we kept sending them. <laughs> well, I'm just wondering: do you do you note a change in tone or receptivity with this governor? Oh, uh, entirely. Um, and I would I would I would credit it really to two things. Uh, first, uh, Governor Newsom campaigned on this. This is something he has been personally committed to. It's been the top of his agenda. But also, it's in the context of the worst housing crisis in our state's history. And uh, Jerry Brown ushered us through a time period of recession to growth. Uh, And now uh, Governor Newsom has to grapple with all of us what to do with this crisis. Do you feel there was a, and this is a little inside baseball, but last night there was some um, advocates camped out at the governor's office. The governor's chief of staff came out and said sort of in concept, we support this stuff. Uh, One of the bills, the rent control, did get tabled. Um, I mean, do you think the governor and his office have been active enough in sort of pushing this debate so far this year? 
I've had conversations with the governor directly on this, as well as with his staff. His staff, they have been engaged in helping to move things forward. Um, it's early in the process, so right. we have a long ways to go in the legislative process. But I do know they are keen to working with us to really get something significant done this year. We don't have time to waste. We've got millions of Californians that are that are on the edge. How so different you, is it? I'm sorry. Go ahead. Finish. Oh, I just It sounds like you feel like maybe this bill being tabled for now does not mean that that's the end of this debate for the year on rent control. Uh, so technically, the bill has been pulled back. Back into the Assembly Rules Committee, which means that it could be pulled out with the blessing of the Speaker time. if there is a deal to be done. Um, last week, there was a ballot measure that was filed for the 2020 ballot on this very topic, and I certainly suspect that there'll be discussions on what it might take to come to a legislative solution as opposed to a ballot-driven right. solution. I'm just curious. You were, of course, on the Board of Supervisors. You was Board President. Board President when Gavin Newsom was mayor. Mm-hmm. How different is it having now him be governor? I mean, does that having had that other relationship with him? How does that affect, you know, the way you interact? Uh, it's great to have the history. Uh, we've known each other for and worked closely together for over a decade now. And uh, and having him come from the Bay Area, he's very familiar with our issues, with our solutions, with our politics. Um, and he sort of gets what we are trying to achieve. Um, so that's wonderful. Um, it's a very different environment in Sacramento, right? To have 11 supervisors in a city that's seven by seven square miles of 800,000 individuals to the fifth largest economy in the world, 40 million people with the incredible diversity, geographic, ethnic, inland to coast, north to south, yeah. you know, giants and dodgers. Uh, <laughs> it's just different. And uh, Does it uh, make San Francisco seem really even more parochial? You know, every time I go back to San Francisco, I have to remind myself that, uh, I mean, I am reminded of just, you know, one, how good it is to be home, but also, two, the state is a really big place and we've got really big issues. Yeah. Well, you guys have both come a long way, um, you and, and Governor Newsom, since uh, I first started covering you both in, in San Francisco and, and Scott, obviously, was was around for all that. But let's talk a little bit about, you know, where you come from. So you grew up in Boston. Mm-hmm. Your, your parents were both um, immigrants from Taiwan. That's right. Um I guess, like, what was that? You've and you've done a lot of work, besides the housing stuff, around immigrant rights and, mm-hmm. and funding immigrant defense. I'm just curious, like, growing up, did you guys speak Mandarin at home? How much was their immigrant sort of story informing the way you felt like your childhood played out? Sure. Um, so my parents made a really deliberate decision when I was about four to stop speaking Chinese to me. And you because, were the oldest, right? and I was the oldest um, because in the in the early 1970s in Boston, um, they were really worried that I was going to go to school and kids would make fun of me and that I wouldn't be able to assimilate. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was actually a parenting decision that a lot of uh, Asian immigrant parents at that time made for their and kids. Mexican and other, yeah. And, uh, and, and frankly, it's the only thing I'm a little bummed at about today totally. that, uh, <laughs> that, uh, my Chinese is not where it needs to they be. They sold you short. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it also was a time in the 1970s when there were serious race riots. It was during the busing desegregation era and, uh, race politics were very, very intense. Uh, and someone who was Chinese, I didn't, it, it, it uh, uh, the, the politics of the town the milieu was sort of Irish and Italians, mm-hmm. and there were racial tensions with the African-American community. Asian-Americans kind of didn't really fit in. So were there many uh, you know, Asian-Americans there were, in your there classes? Were none. There were none. We were the only Asian family in our neighborhood. I was the only Chinese kid mm-hmm. in my high school class. Um, I didn't really think that much about race until really, frankly, college, but it certainly impacted me in all sorts of ways that I didn't realize until later on. Mm-hmm. And your family, I mean... 
I don't want to stereotype, but I, you've described them as sort of very typical Chinese in terms of their expectations around your <laughs> academics. Um, you know, your mom told me in 2009 that you were a happy child who was attentive to detail and eager to please. <laughs> Do you think that's still uh... <laughs> I don't. I, I, I'm actually shocked that she would say that to you because that's certainly not what she reminds me <laughs> of. <laughs> um, and, and, but, but she's always uh, a little, she, she never likes it when I describe my mom as a tiger mom. But mom, you are a tiger mom. <laughs> okay. so Absolutely. You, you learned I mean, violin, you played, right? Yeah, you played violin. I played the violin. My brothers and I played the violin, and she made sure we studied. And <laughs> did you have a little did. trio? We never had a trio. Uh, my middle brother was a far better musician than we were, so he was always the one sort of doing that. But uh, uh, but mom made sure that we were focused on our schooling. And you went to Harvard. Uh, we your did, brother, and, did and, your my, siblings and my my two brothers did as well. And that's, that's to me that it, it's not an indication about us. It really, truly is an indication about mom and dad. Yeah, were they political at all? I mean, how no. You... Oh gosh, no, not at all. Uh, in fact, uh, we have a little bit of a joke. You know, kind of back in the home country, uh, they say that if you go into politics, you're either killed. Or you're killed, or you're you're either you're either corrupt or you're killed by corrupt people, and um, and so and they that's were super stoked when you made this. They were, they were they were not happy at all when we when I first told them. What about public service? Was that something that was stressed at home, or is that something? It sounds like you kind of had an experience um, in high school, maybe volunteering. Were you were you? I, what was this about uh, going to a Public hospital and nursing home. Yeah. So well. Um, so my dad's a doctor, mm-hmm. and uh, and certainly serving others, helping to to take care of others was was very much part of kind of part of our our family culture. Um, but I never thought about politics growing up. In part, there wasn't anyone who looked like me who was in public office. In part, it was definitely not something that uh, my my parents or my family environment would 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 have wanted for me. So you went to Harvard for not one, not two, but three degrees. Apparently. Um, and Made mom happy. <laughs> yeah, right. There you go. And then you ended up going to work on Capitol Hill um, for a congressman. Like, how did that happen? Yeah. So, well, uh, as a son of a doctor, I went to Harvard as a pre-med student and was a biochemistry major. And... Might have got an F on a midterm, might have got a D minus on a physics class. That was probably a first uh, for you. Might have been told I needed to clean up my act academically. Might have taken my first political science class and got the bug. Uh, but probably more relevantly, there was a hate crime that happened my first year on campus. Uh, it involved uh, Asian victims who were Asian college oh. students. And... Uh, and uh, I was asked to show up uh, to assist these students in getting some justice that they didn't receive. And it really turned me on to the civil rights movement uh, uh, and the experience of diversity and, uh, and ethnicity and, uh, and, and kind of moved me in the direction of deciding to go to law school and deciding to get involved in, in the world of public issues and public policy and public affairs. Just a reminder, if you're just joining us, you're listening to Political Breakdown from KQED Public Radio. I'm Scott Schaefer here as always, or almost always, with Marisa Lagos. <laughs> Our guest today is San Francisco Assemblyman David Chu. Are your parents still on the East Coast? Did they... No, they actually... So I was the first to move to California. This is uh, mid-1990s. And then uh, my second... One of my brothers followed me out. And then my second brother followed me out. And then my parents actually finally uh, sold uh, their home uh, in Boston and, and moved out. Do they to, live in uh, San Francisco? They live in San Mateo County. Okay, and so you... they've never voted for you. They have never voted for me. That's correct. And um, and that probably also lined up with the 
birth of your kid and wanting Although, to... actually, I just realized, I think there were a couple of months when they were living in the city for one of my campaigns. Okay. They might have voted at one point. I, I'm trying to remember that. Um, well, full disclosure. So David and I both have three-year-old kids that were born, like, within a couple weeks yeah. of each other. and then Quite the, the governor, blur. Well, or maybe on the same day. And then the governor's... You know, the the one who went up on stage during his inauguration was born like the next week. Yeah, so Dutch. we can always commiserate about that. But before you, you know, got into politics, you were a prosecutor mm-hmm. and then you became a civil rights attorney. That's right. That is not a very like normal path. <laughs> what happened? You know, it was a couple things. I uh, there are many aspects of being a DA that I love. There's nothing like the courtroom experience and and uh, just the intensity of an experience of being a criminal prosecutor. Um, but I have to admit, I got a little tired of feeling like I was in a, a cog in a criminal justice machine that was basically prosecuting young, typically men of color over and over and over again. I just thought there's got to be a different way to have an impact. Were there prosecutions where you felt like, you know, you felt sort of mixed feelings about about winning? There were certainly situations where I felt like the options were limited, where I would feel very sympathetic to the situation and the plight of a defendant that got him into whatever he got, whatever trouble he got into, but feeling like I didn't really have a lot of options to try to push this person toward a different place. There's a lot of talk that maybe you'd run for DA. Uh, you didn't do that. Uh, you did run for mayor in 2011 after Gavin Newsom came up here uh, as lieutenant governor. Mm-hmm. And, and actually, you voted, you were among, you and all of your colleagues voted to put Ed Lee in as temporary mayor, thinking he, as he did, well, he, he said, promised he would yeah. not run, which of course he did. Um, what are you looking back on that? Uh, you know, how do you, how do you see it? You know, I uh, when it comes to most major decisions in life, I I make the best decision with the information you have, and you just keep moving on. And uh, you know, in my uh, things uh, happen as they did during that time period. I have no regrets about uh, uh, about uh, the decisions that I made, and I love what I'm doing right now. Um, so, uh, from my perspective, it all works out. Let me ask this: like you, so I covered, I was covering the board of supervisors for the Chronicle. When you came in, um, got to hang out in the press room. Got to hang out oh, all the, the time. Luxurious and, press room. You know, I covered you being elected as president of the board right away, um, and then the mayor run, and then your campaign for assembly, which um, I want to say here and now was the nastiest race I have ever covered in politics. Um, and, and that's saying something. And that is saying something. And I want you to know also that if you listen to our show show more, that's a little dig. No, um, <laughs> Scott actually quotes you quite a bit that you, you yeah, we, talk we, about... Yeah, the knife fight. In the uh, yes, yeah. that, is, uh, that is how yeah. I think about San Francisco Did you, Was that your actual phrase? That has been my phrase. And I, people have asked me where I got it from, and I honestly don't know. That's just how I think about Yeah, well, it politics. is sort of. And, and again, like, for people outside of San Francisco, this was... Anywhere in the state would have been painted, except for San Francisco, as a fight between two liberal Democrats. Mm-hmm. But in that race, you were considered the moderate. You come up here, you're... I would argue, on the liberal wing of the spectrum. I mean, how do you view yourself politically? So uh, it's funny. When I'm here in Sacramento, I was one of the founding members of the Progressive Caucus. I serve as the policy chair of the Progressive Caucus. Wait a minute. And there wasn't a Progressive Caucus there for you guys? Was, I, maybe there was uh, many, many years ago, but not recently. Huh. And so a number of us formed it. And uh, and what's always funny is my colleagues here view me as one of the most progressives of the progressive. And then I go back to San Francisco, and I've got to remind myself that that is not how people perceive me locally, um, when I'm exactly the same person. My perspective 
perspectives on issues are exactly the same. But uh, in San Francisco, we fight over shades of deep, deep blue. Uh, whereas in Sacramento, it's clear where I am. What do you think, uh, having been up here now for a few years, like what do you think people in San Francisco could learn from spending more time, as you do, with people from the Inland Empire, or yeah. upper, you know, the far north part of the state or the, you know, wherever? You know, uh, one of the assumptions, I think, when you're in San Francisco is because we're such a dense city and we all live so closely to each other, the assumption is you should be like me. Your perspective mm-hmm. should be like mine. And everybody's different. Whereas here in Sacramento, um, I serve in a body with 80 colleagues and our districts are as different as night and day. And the assumption is we're different. Let's try to figure out what our similarities are totally. where where can we actually find commonality and 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 this is the case for uh you know for my colleagues that represent the desert area of california for my republican colleagues for my moderate democratic colleagues uh we're all very different but we're always trying to find that place for us to do work together do you have like one piece of legislation or policy that you've worked on where like that you would point to as like that's the thing i'm proud of for reaching across the aisle or maybe not actual aisle since there's or a mind you changed you yeah, know, yeah. Something, like is there anything like that that you been like you know i would say um i'm I'm proud of the work that we've done on housing uh when i first came to sacramento and i'd ask the question uh what are we doing about the housing crisis i literally would get blank stares because people really hadn't focused on it in 2014 um and the work we did to move forward the package that scott referenced before the 2017 housing package it was, we, it, was, it was years of work of, of trying to build support around the state to focus people on what's a solution that's going to work in your district, what's a solution that's going to work on mine, and can we all do it together? We're, uh, we're getting short on time, but we like to ask our, our guests, uh, like, what do you do for fun? Uh, and, of course, you've got— You still play music? You, you, when's the last time you cracked out the, you know, brought yeah, out the violin? I have to admit, I've been playing in a little band, uh, a fun. little Motown band with a bunch of my former civil rights friends. What's the band called? Uh, it's called— they're called the Coolerators. Uh, I'm really bummed because I missed their last concert uh, a couple weeks ago because of how busy things have been. But I uh, play a little electric violin on that, and it's good to kind of disappear into that. Um, anyone else in the legislature, like, play music, violin? Any, anyone you've, like, found a common I, connection I with? actually played uh, a, a – uh, <laughs> uh, I played with the form, two of the former Republican uh, uh, leaders in the assembly, the, right. the former uh, uh, Chad Mays and, and Kristen Olson, oh, the yeah, three of us. Pianist, oh, yeah. Right? Yes. Yeah. And uh, he played the guitar. I played a little electric violin and uh, and we played for something uh, a couple years ago. Super fun. All right. Well, David Chu, thanks so much for coming in. We wish we had more time. Thanks time for having time me. Time flies. Next time, bring your violin. I will. Or maybe your three-year-old. That would, be, that would, <laughs> that would actually that, be much more fun. You'll get a lot of good tape on that. We might have to adjust the volume level a little bit, but, you know. He's typically uh, ten times as loud as I am. He's, yeah, mine uh, too, and, and a lot of uh, a lot of screaming these days. Yeah. I don't know about your household. We'll have the three neighbors Just like San Francisco politics. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, well, that does it for this edition of Political Breakdown. It's a production of KQED Public Radio. For more of our politics coverage, subscribe to our Political Breakdown newsletter. It gets delivered into your email box. Email box? inbox in your email every Tuesday morning. That's right. You can find it at kqed.org slash newsletters. You can also go to iTunes or anywhere you get your podcast to subscribe to this lovely show. Our producer is Guy Marzarati. Our engineer is Seal Muller. We are in Sacramento today and our team back in SF includes Holly Kernan, Ethan Lindsay, and Vinny Tong. I'm Marisa Lagos. You can find me on Twitter. I am at mlagos. Yeah, and I'm Scott Schaefer. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Scott Schaefer. That is a wrap for this week's Political Breakdown from KQED. We'll see you next time, everybody.
Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks.